Hey, before we hop into ELO215, I want you guys to check out another podcast I think you'll dig, the Matthew Spasidi program. Matthew reached out to me and I become a fan of what he's doing because he wanted to spread the news about his financially focused podcast that also dovetails perfectly in to what we believe with libertarianism, with free markets. And considering everything going on in the marketplace now between Bitcoin, between stock market changes, this is a podcast you want to check out. Get your finances right. Get your financial freedom locked down. And also, get some good libertarian content on top of that. It's not just finances, mind you. He also talks about broader libertarian content as well. So check that out. The Matthew Spositi Program. That's S-P-O-S-I-T-I. Matthew Spositi Program. Anywhere podcasts are heard. Welcome to Electric Liberty Land, here on the Lions of Liberty podcast, your weekly shot of culture, comedy, and liberty with your host, Brian McWilliams. Well, hello. Welcome, welcome, everybody, to Liberty's Jellystone Park and you, my Smarter than the average bear listeners. Hello and welcome to Electric Liberty Land, episode number 215. If you did not have a chance, go back, listen to the the Dave Rubens, as I like to call him, on my last episode. Had a nice little chat with Dave about pilling and where we sit as uh, as a culture if people are waking up. But today's a new show. So moving on, flying solo once more as I think I pretty much typically enjoy doing. Uh, By the way, just last night, I did record, uh, at least I was on for about an hour and a half of what was a three-hour live stream that we did for the 500th episode of the flagship Lions of Liberty podcast. Of course, Mark Claire had started it way back when, back when we just had uh, the Lions of Liberty as a text-only website. And we were posting to the Daily Paul. Mark started the podcast stuff. Yes, technically, right before Tom Woods. (laughs) And uh, we had a a cavalcade of guests on, including Tom Woods. And you'll have to see, did the Schneidering come up? Well, you'll just have to listen to next Monday's show to find out. Because I guarantee, I'm sure Mark will have to edit that show down. The entire three hours will not be on there. However... Our, of course, our Patreon subscribers, the Lions of Liberty Pride, which you can join at patreon.com forward slash Lions of Liberty for as little as $5 a month. Uh, they got to watch it all live, see just how drunk Mark got, but he's got to edit that down to probably what I'm guessing is going to be about an hour and a half for uh, easy listening pleasure. Anyway, a lot of great guests on there. Make sure to check that out. Getting into this here show, I wanted to kickstart this by, you know, Basically, I was doing my Peloton because, you know, in L.A., even though the gods that be have deigned to come down on high and allow outdoor dining once again, although they prohibited restaurants from having televisions on outside because, you know, that makes absolutely no scientific difference. But they want to discourage people from congregating at these places. But. The bars uh, that do not have food are not allowed to be open, nor have people outside. The, I think, massage parlors are allowed to be open with masks, but gyms are not. So you can go inside, 
Lie down, have somebody intimately massage your body, uh, be that naked or partially clothed body, within inches of you as you lie there with a mask on. And uh, and as you sweat and grunt and there's all sorts of uh, things pouring out of your body, hopefully just sweat. But, you know, I know there's some places around here that do more than that. That's fine. You cannot go to the gym, however, where you're still supposed to be wearing a mask and work out socially distanced because the gyms were open at some point, by the way, here. I mean, I remember going back. You had to time it out because they were at 20 percent capacity. Right. And they had everything spaced out. You know, they had them blocked off. So you had to be minimum six feet, you know, every other machine, yada, yada, yada. Yet now we still can't go back to the gym. So I've had to Peloton it and do some other workouts, but I'm on the Peloton the other day and I'm listening to, uh, I don't know, actually might've been Dave Rubin. It might've been somebody else. I'm not sure, but talking about the whole trans athletes thing and how, of course, there are women's rights defenders coming out here, and including some very prominent female athletes. You know, Maria Navratilova is in there, several other tennis players, several other pros in different industries, talking about how this is, you know, this, this whole trans athletes should compete no matter what doesn't matter you know at this point there certainly don't seem to be standardized regulations or rules in place to dictate well you have to be you know especially for high school level you have to have a certain th- you know, hormone threshold level or you had to have transitioning for a certain amount of time it's basically if you say i'm a chick you can run against the chicks and you you know you could have decided yesterday And the Biden administration has, of course, come out being on the left and said, well, we have decided that trans rights are human rights and we support anybody that wants to run as a trans athlete being able to run as the gender they have chosen to identify as. And don't come at me and saying, well, it's not a choice. You know, you're born that way or not. Yeah, I I get that whole that whole thing. Right. But. For the sake of this argument, we're just going to say the the gender that they're choosing to be identified as. They basically said, well, we support that. And uh, Jen Saki, I'm just going to call her Saki. I'm not going to pronounce the P like a pterodactyl. Jen Saki is out there saying this, doubling down on it when asked, hey, what's going on with this? You know, because there's a movement against it as and I would side with the movement that's that's pushing back on this, saying that there are. You know, you've got these female athletes who simply because of biological differences cannot compete against these male athletes that have hormonal advantages, that they have testosterone advantages, they have more muscle mass, etc. But of course, at the same time, while I believed, right, believed, I'll say in the past tense, that there were definitive differences biologically between men and women, the left has assured us and the ACLU has specifically come out and said that they do not believe in biological differences in the sexes. So I must recant that statement and say that, all right, if there are no biological differences between the sexes, right? If we are to believe that the trans uh, community and the uh, athletic community have accepted this principle, that there's no biological differences, that anybody should be able to compete against anybody, that we should eradicate the groupings between men and women for the sake of athletics, I will accept that fact on one contingent basis. And that is if that if we're to be believed, right? If this, if this line of reasoning, if this quote unquote scientific 
line of, of reasoning or scientific fact that the ACLU is fighting for and all these other leftists are fighting for. If that is de facto the truth, then I tell you, I have figured out how to solve the wage gap, which of course has been debunked a million times. But if there are no biological differences between men and women, my friends, then there is no wage gap for, for all people are simply competing against each other on the merits of what they bring to the table, right? We can finally stop talking about the difference between men and women in the workplace, how much they make, the choices that they make in their lives, because if there's no biological difference, that's a moot point. Whatever choices they might make, they made as individual human beings, no longer as women who might opt to go more into social service or lower lower paying teaching jobs or might take time off to raise a child or opt for lower hours in order to take care of said children or simply as a quality of life issue. Let us no longer say that men might be more competitive and might have a more of a, a will to to fight for those higher paid positions or have a, a disposition to be more antagonistic in the workplace and thus be able to get ahead in cutthroats environments like big business. Let us no longer worry of these things. Let us no longer point to things and we say, these are boys clubs. Because my friends, there's no biological differences anymore. The wage gap is a thing of the past. And isn't that a moment of glory for all humanity? I say yes. Of course, in the meantime, <laughs> in the same in the same breath, of course, that we have Joe Biden's executive order telling, uh, basically mandating all high schools that they have to accept the uh, the concept that there's no biological difference when it comes to athletics and that they have to allow trans athletes to compete. They are, of course, not taking my stance on, well, this basically solves the wage gap, that if we if we are going to argue that biology is, is the same in one instance, you have to carry that logic across the entire playing field, whether that be in athletics or in the, uh, the athletics of business. Of course not. Of course not, because as we've seen, there is no logical through line when it comes to progressive policymaking. It is simply based upon emotion and how best they can find some cause to rally people behind. Because as we've seen many, many, many times, the thing is, if you are a progressive, you can never stop moving. It doesn't matter how many victories you have. It doesn't matter that you just got back in the presidency and you're, and you're preaching unity. No, Joe Biden goes out and signed something like 40 executive orders in the first two weeks, more than any other president in history. He had pushing these aggressive, extreme agendas, you know, getting getting back to teaching critical race theory, mandating that people teach this and all this. Goes. They're getting back to, we have to fight, that there is rampant racism, that there is rampant domestic terrorism and white racist extremists out there. We have to always have these things out there. Otherwise... Right. If we didn't always have scare tactics or some grand cause that may or may not be accurate to uh, to scare us all into to raising the battle flags and to marching and to uh, to hating our neighbors, well, then we might just all settle into a simple state of complacence of living our lives, leaving each other the fuck alone, and being happier for it. But of course, being happy and leaving each other alone to govern themselves and not worry about what their neighbors are doing or not be uh, concerned about just how indoctrinated they may or may not be, well, that doesn't leave much for the elites to do, especially the elites that happen to be on the progressive side of things. 
So we are in a constant state of flux. Now this is continued as we see with the impeachment of Donald Trump. So I don't want to spend too much time on this because uh, honestly, I just don't care. I mean, look, I know it's going to set up a tit for tat. And this is why the, the Democrats are honestly idiotic for doing it. This is why there were a lot of Democrats that didn't want to do it because it is, as Ron Paul put it in a recent column that he wrote, it was a show trial. This is a show trial. Donald Trump has zero chance of being convicted or impeached in the Senate. Absolutely none. The House has once again already impeached him. And I guess the question of whether or not it's constitutional, right, could be raised. But at the same time, I don't know. I've been reading both sides of the equation. The counter argument to argue that it is constitutional to impeach the president, even though, or the former president, even though he is no longer in office. And of course, impeachment is designed to impeach a sitting president and remove him is that this is a continuation at the sole discretion of the Senate. And there is basically, I guess, in the Constitution, a line that can be interpreted as saying it is still under their discretion on whether or not they want want to continue it because the precedent exists where he was already impeached in the House. So this would be that continuation. At the same time, we all know it has no hope of success, not only from Republicans, but also from Democrats. There is a, they already basically tallied up the votes. There is no possible chance of success for this. But the Democrats are now setting themselves up for impeachment proceedings to be brought to the forefront. And I don't know if that's politically going to be a good idea or not. In truth, for me, I always, even though I say, you know, you have to fight back at certain points, you can't just continuously take what the other side is doing, even though, you know, as libertarians, we do have a, a moral uh, standard which precludes us from doing a lot of the underhanded shit that enemies uh, that we would consider enemies would be doing to us. You know, you could look at the election and everything that goes on with ballot harvesting and changing the laws. And, and I will talk about that time article, by the way, a little later in the episode. You look at all that and we say, well, that's just terrible. We can't do that. But it does, there does going to have to be a change, you know, and whether that be in the messaging as I advocated for and also in the, an alternate way in which we reach people, i.e. trying to get in on the, on the uh, educational side of things. As I just gave a talk to the Los Angeles uh, Libertarian Party here, I was advocating that people get involved in charity. Even if you're going to run for an office, it's a good idea to get known in your community via charity because that way – just like the left has been owning charity, right? Or at least publicly owning it, saying uh, charity by by state mandate, I should say. When you could get in there like a Ron Paul did and be a doctor, you know, deliver people's babies. Maybe he's delivered them pro bono or a Rand Paul who's going out and doing operations. If you can get in and give people financial advice, give people a, a helping hand, help them get ahead in business, help them get ahead in one way or the other, you are building a community that is going to be loyal to you. And when they start to come with you, you know, at the, with the slings and arrows and try to tear you down, should you run for office, you have a better chance. But in a macro perspective, libertarian education is not something that is going to be widely taught. We know in state-sponsored schools, it definitely will not be taught. Uh, however, we have a 
a very particular moment in history at the moment where people are pulling their children out of these state prison schools at a high rate because the unions have overplayed their hand foolishly and now are being exposed as the hacks that they are. People are turning on unions quite a bit and very powerfully. And not only that, but people are also looking at proposals being put forth which would take money from these unions. You know, no longer is money simply going towards the unions or to the uh, the education system, but instead money is being spent on children. So that money goes to a child and then the parents get to decide what to do with it. We are seeing a lot of these proposals come forward, a lot of them getting a lot of traction, especially where places, you know, like California, where kids are still sitting at home. Got off on a tangent there, but you know, that's what I do here. Getting back to the uh, the Trump situation, it just seems like it, it's just the entire thing is idiotic. I can't bring myself to watch it. I flipped it on for a half second today. You know, I noticed I, I, Fox doesn't even have it on, so that was funny. But of course, CNN and MSNBC do. So I flipped on there, and there's just some you know some asshole railing on about incitement, and uh, clearly they're playing up this this whole threat to the rule of law and how how words have consequences, ignoring the fact that, of course, Maxine Waters has gotten people riled up and told people to literally go and harass people in public, to go and yell at them and tell them not to be there. And she's saying, well, I never said the word, quote unquote, fight, which is what they're saying, that Donald Trump told his people to go and fight for what they believe was a fair election. And Rand Paul said this, if we're going to take the word fight used in any context, even though Donald Trump said, go peacefully to protest at the Capitol. If we're going to take the word fight, which has been used by a million politicians in a million instances, and now use that as the the grounds for incitement, you simply have a standard which is absolutely impossible to uphold. So, Clearly, this won't go anywhere. But again, they're doing the show and pony, or the dog and pony. They're having these assholes come out and say how this is the end of the world. And I'm sure half of America will gladly tune in and believe it. I know soup-fed morons who will gladly lick this up. At the same time, what a horrendous misuse of time and money and attention as we still are in the throes of the government-mandated lockdowns in much of, uh, much of the country. We still are going through a crisis of children having highest suicide rates in history because they're at home, not going to schools, cut off from their friends. You're having instances of alcoholism. You have an economy that is completely in the garbage can. The only bright thing... I can think of, you know, transitioning off of Trump, because there's not really much more to say about that at the moment. But transitioning into a little bit of good news is that the Biden administration has backed off of this insane notion of a $15 minimum wage. Why, you might ask? Well, maybe they looked at the Kroger that closed down two Long Beach stores following a mandated pandemic pay increase of $4 an hour by the local city council. And of course, these people could not be more shocked and angered at the gall of big business to shut down these stores. But when you get into the actual nature of this story and the actual facts behind it, basically Kroger had these two stores open and I, and I can't remember what the local names were. It was probably like a food for less or something like that. Uh, but they had had these stores which were struggling in these areas as is. And so the local city council, in their magnanimous wisdom, decided that they will give $4 an hour mandate 
these large grocery stores to pay $4 extra per hour per employee during COVID. Now, I don't know what they're paying them already. They were probably paying them more than, you know, $4 an hour, because as we know, when you're in a larger city, your wages are going to fluctuate anyway, based upon the cost of living. You know, your local Ralph's or Albertsons or, you know, whatever it might be. I think Albertsons is gone now, actually, but let's say Ralph's, probably enough of you know what that is. Let's say your local Ralph's grocery chain. They're not going to be paying people the $7.25 an hour minimum wage simply because people can't live on that. They wouldn't have enough people to be able to work a full-time schedule of coming in five days a week and working 40 hours at that rate here because you would not be able to pay for your apartment or, I mean, in theory, I guess maybe you double up, triple up. And I know there's a lot of immigrants that do do that in, a, in one apartment, but for the most part, it's simply not possible. So they're going to be paying more anyway. Then, of course, you have people that have been there for a long time that are getting paid. You know, they probably gave them raises here and there because they're good employees. Then you have different people paying You know, your managers. Then you have your supervisors. Then you have your whatever it else. You have all these different people making more than $15 an hour anyway. And now you're mandating a $4 increase on top of that. So you can see how if you're already a store not doing that well, in an area that is not economically flush. So a lot of these people are probably not coming in and buying the steaks and whatever else. They're probably buying, you know, the basic necessities. That that mandated wage of $4 an hour is probably going to cost you something. Like I did a basic calculation in my head of, you know, it's like 15, let's say there's 15 people working there. So $4 an hour, you know, so let's say they're working eight hours a day, whatever. Let's say it's $400 for one shift that's you're added on times two, right? Because most stores are open 24 hours, or at least they're open 18 hours. A few of them only, you know, they only close for a couple hours at night, typically. Well, you're talking an increase of about $1,000 a day for a struggling store. And if you're going to tell me that anybody, I mean, maybe the mega stores in popular areas can, can take that on the chin, but it's not a surprise that they're going to close the stores down when when you're telling them, well, we're going to have to, you're going to have to make up $7,000 a week in sales to keep this store open now. So bye-bye. This is the most predictable outcome from this kind of just blanket idiocy from people who obviously don't have a basic understanding of economics. Now, the CBO also did their report, which is probably the real reason that Biden is backing off of this. But of course, the higher federal minimum would rate reduce unemployment and increase the deficit. Oh, well, shocker, right? The CBO estimate raised, uh, I'm sorry, the CBO estimates that raising the minimum wage would cost 1.4 million jobs, reduce total national employment by almost one full percent, and also would, uh, in, in 2025, which is the first year it would come into effect, by the way. And would also have a, uh, a deficit raise of about $54 billion over the next decade. Now, they argue that but the same 0.9 that would uh, that would lose their jobs would be evened out by 0.9 million people being raised out of poverty. However, of course, we all know that the trickle-down effect of these wage increases means that the people that we raised out of poverty, well, that might be nice for them to get that little boost in wages, we're also going to be paying more for everything. So effectively, 
you are not actually improving anybody's lot in life. Because while you might raise them out of technical poverty at the line, whatever that line might be, the arbitrary poverty line that they draw at the time, let's say, you know, whatever, you have to make over 22000 a year. And I don't even know if that's accurate. I think the poverty line is probably lower than that. Well, let's just say for argument, it's 22000 a year and you boost up their income. Great. So now they're making $25,000 a year. Super duper. Well, the fact that everybody across the board is now making that much more money, an extra $3,000 a year, clearly that's going to be passed on to consumers. Just like Kroger, they're not going to simply take a loss in order to fund your pie-in-the-sky idea of making everybody's life a little bit better. What they're going to do is make everything more expensive in the store. Every single good is going to be more expensive. And we know who is primarily the most impacted by increases in food prices, in gas prices, etc., and that is the poorest. So this is, once again, the kind of policy where when we break it down, we have a chance to educate people, especially as we see Biden and his cronies back down from this. And he said in an interview, well, this is something we're not going to be able to do with at least the COVID deal and that we're going to have to look at possibly doing in another bill later. Now, if he's smart, he won't put it in any bill ever and he'll let the market take its role. But of course, we know that this is something that's a constant fighting point for the left. However, like I said, we have an opportunity as libertarians to say, you can see the studies done here. I just gave you a prime example of why this hurts the bottom rung of society rather than lifts them up and how the free market is going to be able to provide more wages, more opportunity to people to get in to make a living wage and not have to pay out the nose for these basic products as they lift themselves up. When we couple that with the aspects of society, with the aspects of the welfare state, which are continuously keeping people down and keeping them in the, uh, I don't know, the, the rusty the rusty gilded cage that has been designed for them by these policies that Democrats have been pushing for decades, we have a really powerful argument for how trying a different approach is going to be better. How I remember Hotep Jesus was uh, was on part of the problem. I enjoyed that conversation. And he was actually on, you know, Thaddeus Russell was on Monday. Hotep Jesus also spoke with him on his program. But, and uh, and Thaddeus Russell, I mean, he was on our program Monday. But, uh, you know, Hotep Jesus was talking about well, the idea of reparations. Now, of course, you know, in a broad sense, I'm against the idea of reparations because I feel like it's almost impossible in in from a state-mandated side of things to enforce that, to tell people that you have to pay out of your pocket for something that you didn't do and have no concept about to to recuperate losses by a certain segment of the population who you have to figure out if you're, you can't just be blanket black people because then you have, you know, like J.B. Lubin's family, our, our uh, line of liberty, our black line of liberty, uh, you know, his family came in from France. So clearly they wouldn't get the reparations for being slaves in America, et cetera. Just too unwieldy. However, I did think an interesting idea that could apply, and I'm fine with because it doesn't impact me directly, and I don't want the government getting more money anyway, is to give people tax breaks, right? Keep their taxes lower or give them uh, business incentives in order to help them out. Give them reparations in that regard. Because to me, if you're going to give somebody reparations by saying your tax burden's lower or you no longer have to pay as much business tax to, to get a, a business started, well, yes, it would give them a competitive advantage over some other people in the marketplace. Ideally, these would be in communities that are already disadvantaged that they're they're basically trying to bring it up in their own environment. And if not, I don't know. 
look, there's no perfect solution to this, but for me, at least it's just not coming out of people's pockets directly. And while, yes, there's an argument to be made that this is basically kind of like, you know, arguing that you're lowering the the standard in order to uh, the threshold for getting into college by allowing people to come in and have an easier path in. And that's an unfair advantage to the other students, yada, yada. I get it. I understand what you're saying. But at the same time, I do look at damage done in specific black communities or minority communities as a whole by government programs, by over tax, you know, over policing by introduction of drugs into the communities by going through there and, uh, you know, incentivizing the breaking up of family units. All these kind of things make me think this is probably the easiest and best way forward to at least try to right those wrongs and even the playing field specifically in uh, demographic areas. I didn't even know I was going to talk about that, but that's the way I roll on this show. Uh, but yeah, Good news is, at least for now, we are getting a reprieve from the $15 minimum wage. Um, let's take a little break. I want to tell you guys about a fantastic sponsor of ours. You know I love them. Actually, I'm going to open one right now. Zipix toothpicks. What kind should I have, guys? I've got mocha right here. I've got spearmint and spice. I think, you know, I think I'm going to go with a mocha. I'm once again trying to be healthy. I'm going to have a mocha so I get that nice little kind of chocolate. It's like an after-dinner chocolate of Zipix nicotine-infused toothpicks. But these things, I told you last week, you know, I was hungover, chewing on a Zipix. Uh, actually, they have the B12 caffeine toothpicks. And this is not a uh, an authorized statement from Zipix, but I personally, from my experience, I chew on these things when I'm a little hangered, you know, hammered at night, I'm watching the Super Bowl, have a couple... I feel a million times better than I think I will in the morning. Anyway, FDA registered. These are made in a lab. They are two milligram or three milligram. You choose the strength, but you get that great hand to mouth feel. You know, it's like, you know, people that smoke or vape, you kind of want that feeling of being able to take it in and out of your mouth, to chew on it, to roll it around. You still get that buzz. You still get that kind of abatement of the craving. And it really goes a long way to stopping you from wanting that cigarette. So check them out, whether or not you are a smoker or just looking to get that little buzz like I like to do, go to ZipixToothpicks.com, Z-I-P-P-I-X Toothpicks.com. Use promo code LION, 10% off your first order. All right, coming back into the show here, let's talk a little bit about big tech's continued censorship just for a couple minutes because there are just some ridiculous stories here. For example... <laughs> The Academic Media Censorship Conference was itself censored by YouTube. <laughs> I mean, you got to love this. The entire video record of the conference, about 24 hours of material, was disappeared from YouTube, so say the conference organizers. So this was the Critical Media Literacy Conference of the Americas 2020, uh, which had been in October, right? Took place, fine, featured a number of uh, speakers and panels, however. Later, though, they post this thing online, and it is gone. Just gone. And, of course, this guy, uh, one of the organizers, Nolan Higdon of State University East Bay, started getting messages in from some of the academics that were talking there, and uh, <laughs> one of which is Mickey Huff of Diablo Valley College. He says, at first I thought it was a joke. 
My initial reaction was, that's absurd. There must be a mistake or an accident. It must have been swept under somehow. There's no violation, no reasoning, no warning, no explanation. There was nothing. The entire channel was just gone. And Huff is also the director of Project Censor, or Project Censored, uh, which is an organization that sponsored the event. So you got to say by looking at this stuff, right, uh, that they got, I mean, first off, they got their channel reinstated, but now there's no videos on it, right? The video is still removed. So you wonder, and this is something I'll tell you a little personal experience I had this past weekend. You wonder, number one, Okay, are they just going out of the way to make this absolutely blatant that they're censoring? I mean, this something like this is so meta ridiculous to rip it off of there that you wonder, okay, is it intentional? Is it nefarious? Do they are they to the point where they're so powerful they just do not give a damn? Or does it fall under an automatic removal policy? But if it did, the video itself should be replaced up there again. Now, theories abound because let me tell you what happened to me is I work with a nonprofit called uh, the, uh, the Chronicles Group. I'll tell you the name of them. Uh, it's basically a climate-centric organization. They do a lot of documentary work about climate change, about dangers and you know, forthcoming, et cetera, whether or not you buy into the entire climate change message. But you know they focus a lot of times on the watershed issues, which are more you, really more tactical, more provable, less having to do with the overarching thing and kind of nuts and bolts, which is great. They try to be very agnostic, right? They try not to, they try to avoid being too political in general, but they also have some background videos that were made by the founder of the group that were some older stuff like uh, Bad Cops and Execution at Midnight, right? These are some shows that aired on HBO, I think maybe on ABC. They're on the YouTube channel. So we have been building this YouTube channel up, right? And especially some of these old true crime videos, it's such a popular genre, had been getting tens of thousands of views. So we develop an entire kind of concept. Okay, here's what we're going to do to take advantage of it, to fund the new climate-centric work, yada, yada. Then out of the blue, last Thursday, the page is gone. You go to the page, it says, the, this content has been removed for violating you know, YouTube's policies and their whatever, their community standards. So we go, what the fuck? <laughs> a climate-centric nonprofit. This is a nonprofit website, right? Nonprofit's YouTube page gets pulled off. So we start going, okay, what could it be for? Is it is it because some of the music in the uh, the older stuff on there is trademarked? Maybe, but I'll tell you what that what happens with that is like the Lions of Liberty. Sometimes we'll get flagged when I do one of my satire videos. We'll get flagged for having you know, content that is under trademark because technically, even though I'm using it for satire purposes, which allows me to do it legally, they have an automated system that flags content if it if it's, you know, Warner Media Group's song. But typically they just flag it, they demonetize you, but they don't really take it down. So they go, okay, well, what else could it be? Is it the content because it's executions? It's Is it because of violence? Are they saying it's hate? Is it something in the comments? But just like with this media conference, they don't tell you. And you know, it's like Tim Pool got his thing taken down, but at least they told him at times what videos it was, right? Or news to share Ford Fisher, who was on my show you know, years ago. He had content taken down. And sometimes they'll say, okay, you got to take down this video and that video and we'll reinstate it. These people, I guess they don't tell them anything, but the page just magically reappears. For us, we put in, we we said, no, what the fuck? This is bullshit. We pushed back. 
get no response from YouTube, but magically on Sunday, it's back up. No explanation. We changed nothing on the page, but it's back up. I will tell you, it is unbelievably frustrating to deal with this because just like anything, you build up time, you put in time and investment in money. And this is where I was arguing when I was talking about big tech censorship and how to fight it, where I think the most reasonable way to fight it would probably be personal lawsuits based upon loss of revenues by virtue of building up these communities and the damage therein. You know, if you can prove money, like I'm a, I work for a public relations firm, you could make a legal argument that by YouTube re removing your content without telling you why or any reason or, or without really violating any of their content standards that you know of and giving you virtually little recourse to fight that, that they are doing material damage to your business and you can have financial recuperation for that by saying, look at the time, look at the hours, look at the money I spent on this PR firm. You know, let's say I spent 20 grand and, you know, I, I, he hasn't spent 20 grand uh, yet, <laughs> but Let's say you spent 20 grand on my PR firm. Well, you should be able to recoup that. If our if our sole goal is to build up your YouTube page and you've monetized that, that's a reasonable argument. But we're seeing not only the, the censorship conference get censored, but additionally, we're seeing other things come through. Like YouTube censoring a feed directly from the Senate floor. And this happened, I believe it was... Let me see. It was last week and they canceled testimony by number one. It was Dr. Pierre Corey, and he was sent testifying at the Senate Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs Committee hearing on Capitol Hill uh, back in, let's see, this is December 8th. However, I guess it just got published recently. Additionally, I had read another story wherein it was testimony, and I think it might have been from Hawley or, or some other senator on the Senate floor. And they had censored that because he was questioning, I guess, something having to do with the election, or they said that it violated something because he was talking about the incitement of violence, or somehow it was tied into domestic extremism. You see how they've invented all these catchphrases with which they are now enabled to censor it. And it may not be an individual person. That's the problem. We know that YouTube, we know that Facebook, we know that Google, we know that all these different platforms, Twitter, are censoring anything related to COVID. So because this guy, Corey, is testifying about a COVID-related topic and maybe is going against the norm, they pull it, even though it has to do with the Senate Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs Committee. So now we are being censored because of these algorithms, either algorithms or nefarious operators at these big tech platforms, most likely algorithms, we're being censored from seeing discussion on the truth happening within our own government, which dictates what policies are put into place. And that is a new and sickening development because otherwise, I guess maybe C-SPAN will have it, maybe they won't. But when de facto, we have the public square operating as YouTube or Facebook or wherever else, where people have built up communities based upon a promise of delivering information, well, these big tech companies are now getting involved and they are, in fact, stopping the freedom of speech and the free flow of information from a government body. And if we're looking at how big tech and big government are tied in, if they weren't, right, shouldn't the state be going after them more vociferously? Shouldn't there be certain people on both sides of the aisles arguing that big tech has to be reined in rather than just on one side rather than the other? I mean, we're seeing more and more blatant examples of how these work. But of course, 
you know, and, and here's another example. Facebook says it will start auto-deleting posts with false COVID-19 claims. Again, this is the algorithm at work. So no longer is there even any discretion. Even There's no gray zone. There's no possible debate as far as the context with which that information is being delivered. It is simply going to be flagged and removed automatically by the people writing the algorithms. We've seen in the past by these virtue, virtue of these reports, I think there was one coming out from, oh God, I can't remember the guy's name. It begins with a V. Uh, the guy that did the whole you know planned parenting thing. Regardless, there's people on camera talking about how the people at Google writing the algorithms without a doubt are left-leaning. They are progressives and they are targeting certain messaging they don't like for removal or for suppression. Facebook, auto-deleting posts with COVID-19 claims, quote-unquote, false COVID-19 claims. That's ridiculous when we've seen COVID information change that we're being told is gospel. Fauci told us that masks do nothing. Now he's saying you have to wear two of them. We're seeing them tell you that you have to wipe down every single surface and that it spreads by, you know, it can stay alive on a surface for 62 hours straight. And now we know there is no transmission from surfaces. They told us that asymptomatic people can spread it. Now we know there is no asymptomatic spread. Yet Facebook is going to remove, quote unquote, false COVID-19 claims. All that translates to me as they're going to move any new information or anything counterfactual to the state-sponsored narrative at the time. And that is insanity. Plain and simple insanity. You know, it's like, and I talked about the social currency, the China, you know, the, the, the new China syndrome that's happening with social currency and, and basically dictating what you can and can't do, where you can go. Now, Bank of America... This also came out. Bank of America secretly flagged purchase history of customers and sent the data to feds after the Capitol riot. So now Bank of America, which is who I use, I now have to look for other alternatives for my banking because I thought to myself, well, at least they're not Citibank. At least they haven't decided, at least that I read at the time, that they were going to cut off payments to X, Y, or Z or that they weren't going to process X, Y, and Z uh, coming through if it happened to align with the NRA or it happened to align with whatever else. And now I have to worry that... Purchases that I make via my Bank of America debit card are going to be provided to the federal government should there be an incident that I may or may not be in the vicinity of. That is sickening. We're seeing this massive state apparatus, which we were warned about time and time again, which we had, of course, under Obama, God King Obama, who everybody can't stop kissing his ass enough that God King Obama allowed to be put into place and then lied to us about. We've seen both parties usher it through again and again and again. Nobody seems to want to stop that except very few people like Thomas Massey and Rand Paul and I think Tulsi Gabbard even, and I think Bernie, said, hey, we need to stop this stop this spying apparatus. Well, you're seeing the next evolution. You're seeing it's not only listening to your emails, listening to your phone calls, reading your texts. It's now where you're buying. It's not just your search history. It's now what you're buying. Another reason why it's so vitally important that we never go with a cashless economy, why we never abandon hard currency, why we never give government the ability to track us everything we do digitally because they can, at a whim, not only access your history, apparently, of what you bought 
but where you bought it and then where you went with it. I told you about the Air Force contracting the technology, which can ping and find out where you are by the virtue of the Internet of Things. They can track you. They can stop you. They can turn off your bank account. They can peg you for whatever you want. They can make a case against you. Maybe you're just there looking around. But because you happen to buy something, maybe you bought zip ties to make sure you were tying up bags of leaves in your yard, and then you decide you were going to see what the hubbub was about at the Capitol riots. Well, now you're on an FBI watch list, and maybe you get called in for questioning because, hey, who knows, you might have been going to kidnap somebody. Uh, now, this is all being covered up by the media, of course, who won't really go and make a big deal of the fact that the federal government is working with banks to take your information and come after you. They're not going to make a big deal of the fact that censorship is shutting down the viable and honest exchange of information on the internet. And in fact, they're going to turn their attention towards just how great China's doing because China has put in this, this, this system and they have you know, all their people operating under the same goal and they're not worried about extremism there. Like, for example, <laughs> oh, so recently, a New York Times columnist, Thomas Friedman, was on, let's see, what show was he on? Thomas Friedman was on, a, on CNN's Cuomo primetime Monday night, and he was talking about that China has high-speed trains because they don't have to worry about people like former President Donald Trump. And specifically, he said that Hey, well, I hear. Let me, let me give you the quote. Quote, do you know that it takes four hours and 18 minutes to take the bullet train from Beijing to Shanghai? And it takes 21 hours to take the train from New York to Chicago. And they're both about the same distance. I'll tell you something they weren't thinking about in China this week. They weren't thinking about some knucklehead. They weren't spending the week thinking about a knucklehead who claimed 911 didn't happen. 9-11. They weren't thinking about some guy who's a QAnon shaman. They were probably thinking about some bad stuff with the Uyghurs and all that. Oh, for sure. But I guarantee they weren't wasting their time on this nonsense. So not only is this guy basically saying that China was able to focus on these big government projects. And let us also remind people, China does focus on big government projects for sure. They also build cities that nobody's in. They also have concentration camps. This guy glances over the Uyghurs incident. I'm sorry, guy. You know what? While you're talking about the government worrying about QAnon people, and they definitely went after them because they're prosecuting them, we know they're they're working with Bank of America to track down the Capitol rioters. While our government is most definitely worried about those people and the people are trying to put a bill forth to legitimize and quantify in our governmental uh, legal structure the ability to go after, prosecute, track citizens for what they say or their opinions, well... In addition to all of that, you know, China seems like they are worried about those people because when you do talk about Uyghurs, you're talking about them rounding up an entire segment of a population and putting them in re-education camps. And I know some people on the left, like AOC and probably this asshole, are all for the quote-unquote re-education of Trump supporters. But at the same time, you know, when we're talking about the Uyghurs, we're not just we're not just stopping there with China because as a personal story was told to me by Rico, our good buddy Rico, I think he told us about this on Bravo and Beer, our other podcast, but you know, his girlfriend's currently in China and she told him they definitively come to your door 
if you talk about, type about something in regards to Hong Kong and the protests there. She had a friend who literally had said something online, just mentioning and passing Hong Kong. And what happened? Knock on the door. So yeah, Thomas, they are actually worried about this quote unquote knucklehead because they're a totalitarian government, just like ours is becoming. And it basically has become. So it's not just the Uyghurs. The Uyghurs are the most extreme example. It's also journalists that have been jailed. It's also, uh, you know, you might have heard about the billionaire that China has in prison that they disappeared, Jack Ma. Yeah, he hasn't been seen in months. Is he just sort of a knucklehead? He's one of the most powerful men, the most rich men in the world, and they disappeared him into a re-education camp. And as of a few weeks ago, said that his education was coming along grandly. So thank God they've got high-speed trains, huh? Worth it. But it doesn't stop there with the New York Times. Of course, Glenn Greenwald had also pointed out that it's not just that they've abandoned honest journalism and, and looking at the real issues that are prominent, that are worrying in our society. And I think, as I talked about with Dave, I think more people are seeing this. Not these elitist liberal fucks that are that are worming their way through academia and, and media and everything else that are just completely brainwashed to it. But the average everyday American, I think, is seeing this. I think the average person would watch that, watch him brush off the Uyghurs and know some of these horrible things happening in China and say, that's not right. But all that, but we see that the New York Times has abandoned all efforts to cover things rationally. And instead, they're doubling down on hiring these millennial reporters to instead take part in gotcha journalism. For example, as Glenn Glenn Greenwald has talked about, this reporter named Taylor, was it Taylor? I almost said Taylor Lautner, like that uh, that terrible actor from movies, thank God I've never seen, but from uh, Twilight, the Twilight series of movies. Uh, But there's this kind of gotcha journalism and this chick, Taylor Lorenz, has been on a witch hunt to go after Mark Andreessen, who was a big Silicon Valley investor. So what she did, you know, they've got this, which I'm not, I'm not on it yet, but they've got this new program wherein a lot of the Silicon Valley people are, are coordinating and kind of having their talks on it. And it's by invite only called Clubhouse. So Clubhouse had had an invite for him to give a talk to different investors. And I guess actually uh, Camille Foster of, God, what the fuck is that podcast called? The Fifth Estate Podcast? I can't remember. I used to listen to it, but you you guys know who Camille Foster is. So he was on the call and this this chick, you know, this uh, Taylor Lorenz woman had said that Mark Andreessen had used the phrase retard on the call. Now, Camille Foster said he was on the call. No, he definitely did not say that de facto, but she reported it as though this is hard news, right? She tweets it out. P. Marka, at P. Marka, just openly using the R slur. And they're going, you know, this is something that you're no longer allowed to say the word retard. Uh, even, I guess, in in the actual phrase, you know, uh, as in you're retarding the growth of something. Yeah, you know, you just can't say it. It's one of those words you can't say anymore. But he says he used it on Clubhouse tonight and not one other person in the room called him on it or saying anything. And then she posts a picture of the other people that are on the Clubhouse call because she had snuck in, by the way. Of course, she wasn't invited. She had snuck in. Somebody gave her a secret password. So he says, no, he didn't use the word. 
Camille Foster says that didn't happen. Uh, what actually happened is that Felicia Horowitz, a different participant, had explained that Redditors called themselves the, quote, retard revolution. And that was the only mention of that word. Now, we've had documented instances before of people getting fired for similar types of infractions. You know, I think the guy who was, he was like a head at Netflix or something got fired because he used the N-word telling people not to use the N-word. We had the famous instance wherein a professor of linguistics or of communications, I think it was a business communications class, was telling students that the word nega, which sounds like the N-word, but is not, is a Chinese word, which kind of means like, um, 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 or is similar, I think, to like over here, over there. Like I remember it and I, and I talked about this at the time. It's like Jaga, uh, this and Nega that like this and that, or it's also, but it's also used as like, a, I'm trying to think of it like, uh, give me a sec, give me a sec, give me a sec word. It's like a, te- a placeholder, an, uh, or an, um, in our language or a like, I guess, you know, like, uh, you know, so this guy basically gets suspended because some black students in his class said that they were hurt and offended by that word, even though they knew the context of it, he'd explained it thoroughly. And of course the question there is raised, well, who's right? Is it these people that are saying that they're hurt and expressed, do we need to value their being hurt and expressed and thus always avoid it? Or should they be told to shut the fuck up and that feelings do not dictate the way in which we operate everything in society? I, of course, fall on the latter side of that. But this is yet another example of this chick being absolutely wrong. So what does she do? What does this quote-unquote journalist do after she's caught in a flat-out lie in a story she tried to promote and tried to expose a man and tried to ruin a man, and plus everybody else in the clubhouse, when she's exposed as lying, oh, she blocks uh, blocks everybody and locks her account. Because that's what you should do if you're a journalist working for the New York Times. When you're exposed as the fraud you are, instead of apologizing, instead of saying, oh, you know what? I got this wrong. I should have never tweeted something I clearly misheard. I should have gotten a secondary opinion on this. Whatever it might have been. None of that happened because there's no apologies anymore from the media. There's no apologies from anybody working within this left mindset, this media, academia, journalism mindset. There's never an apology. We didn't see an apology for the Russiagate scandal. None of that came out saying we were wrong about that. We're not going to see an apology for COVID once it's exposed how ridiculous this entire lockdown strategy was and how it's done far more to hurt than to help on any level. We're not seeing anybody apologize for how they sucked Governor Cuomo's dick the entire time. And now it just came out that he actually killed 50% more elderly by forcing COVID patients into those places. There's no apologies. There's just blocking people, locking your account and moving on to the next outrage item that your base clamors for. Now, the good news is that I hope I hope the New York Times is dropping as far as their readership, just like we saw with CNN. CNN is dropping like a stone. I couldn't be happier. Now, that doesn't mean that those people are going somewhere better, unfortunately. I mean, I hope it does. I hope that it means that people are avoiding these mainstream news outlets like the plague because there are none left that are decent. Glenn Glenn Greenwald himself got forced out of his own publication, which was designed to be an antithesis to the mainstream media outlets that were just pushing a biased narrative, but it got taken over. 
His backers hired out some other editors and the other editors pushed him out because he dared to push back against Russiagate. He dared to push back against some of these crazy narratives that he dared to report that Hunter Biden's laptop was in fact real and that it was insane that they intentionally, his editors told him he could not publish an article about how the the entire Hunter Biden cover-up, the entire Hunter Biden laptop thing was in fact true, that the Russian, Russian disinformation hoax was just that, and how this was a actual, legitimately accurate, confirmed piece of data that people needed to know about. But of course, they didn't want him to publish that because it might affect Joe Biden. So now he's just on Substack. Good. And a coincidence that I just read in Matt Tiabi's uh, column that now the media is coming after Substack, that now they're telling us that this is the next place for extremism. None of these things are coincidences. All of these things are coordinated to give the media, to give the establishment, to give the cathedral back the pulpit that they desire, to keep the means of information dispersal at their fingertips, controllable, parcelable out how they want, when they want, telling the truth that they want, just like we see in other totalitarian societies. Now, there is an app that I saw that uh, allows you to auto-block 800 New York Times writers because they are saying, we we invented an app to combat fake news. You don't need to see this disinformation. Well, I appreciate that. I can't support it. Because it's doing the same thing that the left is doing, the same thing that anybody's doing. You can't simply ignore information coming out. Even if it's bad information, you need to know what your enemy is doing. You need to know, to know, you need, you need to know. Nee, the knights are saying nee, and nee. You need to know what, what's being put out there so you can counter it or at least know that it is happening. And if you're blanket blocking these people, all you're doing is the exact same thing that happens when the left goes after the quote unquote extremist right places. You're just going to push these people into even deeper echo chambers. That is how we got to where we are. And we need to avoid getting back to that place. What we need to do is get back to a point of reasonable discussion. God, I'm already in an hour in this shit. Fuck me. Ah, you know what? I was going to go into the entire Time article, guys, and I just, I think I'm not going to. Instead, I will reference you. Uh, we had Pete Quinones on the uh, the 500th episode when we recorded live last night. Pete and Vin Armani, who, you know, I, I love Vin Armani. He's been great when he's on our show. Pete and Vin did a about, I don't know, it, they broke down the entire 6,000-word article on his show, Free Man Beyond the Wall. I'll give him a plug. So go check that out. If you want to hear it, it's a great piece. They do a great breakdown. I am running out of time here. And because this is a culture episode, I want to move on to some Super Bowl thoughts and some advertising thoughts before I wrap up. I will say, in brief, as I talked about with Dave Rubin on uh, last episode, the Time Magazine piece titled The Secret History of the Shadow Campaign That Saved the 2020 Election is an exercise in not only brazen stupidity because of the way that it interprets it. And I'm seeing libertarians. I'm not going to say what group this is in. I'm seeing some libertarians say that, well, this is people outraged by this. Just don't see that this is people coming together from all types to try to keep an election sound. Number one, what kind of fucking libertarian are you? Where it's so, it's just the utmost importance to you that people from all over 
undermine local rules, undermine and disenfranchise people, do shady shit, file a million different lawsuits, supplement, you know, get all these mail-in ballots where we know there's fraud in order to keep an election safe, which you as a libertarian really shouldn't be that enthused about anyway. Keeping this state power so so pristine and so clean around the edges. Wow, what a libertarian statement that is. Instead of trying to find out, wow, you know, maybe some of this was underhanded. Maybe some of this actually isn't to keep keep the establishment candidate in there and try to stop people from wondering whether or not an election was stolen, but in fact goes farther to undermine future elections, which is exactly what every single thing that happened in this time article, which outlines how the biggest union groups got together with the establishment cronies to put forth a plan to file all these different lawsuits in place. And there was something like, by the way, three to one lawsuits filed, but they filed them preemptively, not like the Trump campaign, as they talk about how Trump's lawsuits are are, are clogging up the, the ways and 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 disenfranchising voters and our voter suppression. No, they fired something like they filed something like three times the lawsuits in advance for the mail-in voting to change local laws, many unconstitutionally. They all coordinated this this uh this massive shift. And you, when you really read through it, it really is stunning to see the different pieces involved. And to me, what I took away with it was, I already know this happened. You know, we saw it unfolding. We knew this was going to be a shit show to begin with. And they, without a doubt in my mind, there was ample voter fraud. And also, as Rand Paul said, and I think he put it very accurately, even if you don't believe there was, there should still be a hearing on it. The courts didn't just reject these cases, you know, and saying because it's on the merits of what was brought to the table or based upon the evidence. No, they just dismissed them because they didn't want to keep it ongoing. They dismissed them for one reason and one reason only. They wanted to move on and get back to business as usual, period. That's why corporate America got on board. Corporate America didn't get on board because they wanted the importance of the the election to be unmistakable. No, they wanted to get back to making money. They want things to get back to normal. So they worked with the the you know the progressive left, which controls media anyway. They worked hand in hand with them. They worked with these progressive progressive groups that are trying to get this thing handled and done and over with to squash anybody talking badly against what was happening with the Supreme Court decisions or that might voice an opposition to this election being ratified. In the meantime, we did not hear any of the evidence brought forth in these cases. It was not tried. We don't know if there was or not, and they are happy to move forward, period. I'm not saying for sure this election was stolen. I'm saying every election has fraud. And when you have something like 70 or 80 million votes coming in by mail, which is proven to virtually have fraud in every instance, there are a lot of questions raised that should have been looked into. But anyway, let's end there going through it because it's crazy. Um, all right. Last thing, uh, quick Super Bowl thoughts. So, I'm not going to go into, you know, I, I didn't think they went too overboard. I thought they did a little bit of, of uh, predictable, you know, let's, okay, it's all, you know, racism's a thing and, you know, hooray for Black Lives Matter. That was a little bit in there, but not too much because I think they knew that was what was causing a ratings plunge. And the NFL has already said they are pulling back from that. They will not be doing anything in the end zones anymore, et cetera. NBA did the same thing because NBA ratings tanked even farther than the NFL did. I did want to talk about the, well, number one, the halftime show I enjoyed. I liked the weekend. 
I know a lot of people thought it was terrible. They said, oh, it's, it was underwhelming. Worst ever seen. Eh, you're entitled to your opinion. Your opinion's wrong. <laughs> this was by far more entertaining to me because I'd rather see interesting you know, videography. I liked the whole thing with him holding the camera going through the light tunnel. I liked them having the entire stadium uh, floor to work with rather than seeing people stand in the middle of a stage surrounded by fat, drunk dipshits screaming and yelling. That to me is boring. Then again, I don't really like live music that much. So I don't know, maybe that's my bias. I'd rather see an interesting show that has a little bit more uh, fluctuation to what's happening on the screen rather than seeing some chuds stand around and wail on guitars. Maybe I'm crazy. But I do think it's interesting to look at the ads that came in this Super Bowl because we didn't really see a lot of the race baiting bullshit. We didn't see too much in that vein as as advertisers now seem to be content to move on and stop preaching to us. Now, there were a couple notable exceptions to that. But I'll go through and just say, you know, some of my favorites, I did think the Tracy Morgan and Rocket Mortgage ones were pretty funny. You know, they were totally non-political. And I do love me some Tracy Morgan. I thought the M&Ms come together was eye-rolling in that they had a mansplaining reference. Which, number one, mansplaining is 2015. It was always a fucking stupid concept. It still is a stupid concept based on, I don't even know, fourth wave feminist idiocy. It's simply, I'm sorry, people explain shit all the time. I don't think that men go out of their way to explain and talk down to women or, or feel that they need to explain every little thing. If they're trying to do it, it's probably because they're trying to impress them or somebody else, period. All right? It's not a sexist thing. It's simply a way of either getting ahead or trying to get in your pants. If you don't like it, tell them to fuck off. Tell them to shut up. I'm sorry, did you lose your ability to speak up? Can, consider me in line with those, the seven, second wave feminists, uh, those that believe that women have agency. But that annoyed the shit out of me. Uh, I thought the GM commercial with Norway was pretty funny. Aquafina sucks. She is not funny. But, you know, I got to say, funniest thing that Will Ferrell's been in in 10 years. God, that guy's on a losing streak, man. This is the funniest thing I've seen him in in a long time. The last thing I watched him in uh, Sherlock Holmes was an eye-rolling exercise in leftist douchery. Uh, basically, once you try to be political overtly and you're trying to work in political jabs into a into a segment, rather than leading with what's funny, it becomes unfunny. And Sherlock Holmes, I do not recommend you watch it, but had several instances where they made Trump references, which was just out of place and stupid in a historical comedy. It just was awkwardly shoehorned in. And again, they weren't funny, just as The Daily Show is never funny. And God, by the way, what's going to happen to The Daily Show now that Trevor Noah actually has to write jokes again? God knows. I wonder if the writers are terrified or if they're excited that they don't don't have to be hacks any longer. Anyway, moving on. Uh, I thought the Drake from State Farm ad was pretty funny where the singer Drake was Jake from State State Farm's body double, even though I despise Jake from State Farm because I hate it when ads go uh, black in time to swap out people of color for other people that were white for PC reasons. Of course, they replaced funnier Jake with new Jake. Uh, I did think it was hilarious that Paul Rudd was Paul Mahomes stand in (laughs) since Paul Mahomes sucked in the Super Bowl so badly. Uh, And also, this was interesting to me. 
Matthew McConaughey continues to be prominent in media and entertainment and in commercials. This is despite the fact that Matthew McConaughey was outspoken, especially in the last year, about how divisive America has become, about cancel culture being bullshit, and even standing up and saying, you know, people shouldn't just go after and hate these Trump supporters. So he should be, if anything, getting all of the arrows and uh, the hot oil treatment like Chris Pratt. Poor Chris Pratt seems to just be in line for everybody trying to take him down. Now there's some story, which is probably bullshit, about his brother being involved with a right-wing extremist group, right? And they had tried to tear him down for not attending a Joe Biden rally that the other Avengers went to. Because, you know, that's why you should be canceled for not going to a fucking political rally for an elderly dickhead from the cathedral. But Matthew McConaughey seems to be able to wade through this just un, unarmed, not unarmed, unharmed. You know, he's got some sort of a magic force field around him. I guess he's too cool to get taken down or canceled because he was in a Doritos commercial. He was out there, you know, in this 3D commercial. And I guess they out, they kind of evened him out with Mindy Kaling and uh, Democratic shill uh, mouthpiece, Jimmy Kimmel, who I just lost all respect for. But he was out there, man. You can't kill Matthew McConaughey. Maybe I can get him on the show. <laughs> he'll, go, he'll go on Tom Woods first. And then the last one, my favorite commercial I thought was pretty good, was the Bud Light Seltzer commercial, Lemons, wherein, you know, the concept of, uh, of last year being a lemon of the year, not the most original, but the way that they played it out was pretty funny because they had lemons raining down from the sky, knocking people out when they're trying to work out, uh, canceling people's weddings. You know, they're crying under the tables. Lemons are falling from the ceiling. Can uh, canceling flights. One was pretty funny. The guys at the airport and lemons are crashing through the airport ceiling. And you see that all the flights are canceled, of course, with COVID. All the fucking flights were canceled for quite some time. And uh, blasting through the cutouts at in-person sporting events. Really funny commercial. Hit home for me and uh, and did address COVID, I think, more more pertinently and funnily than most others did. So there you go. That's my take on uh, on the Super Bowl, which naturally was an exercise in jingoism with the government running out American flags and flying crap all over the place. But, you know, that's what we come to expect. The NFL and the U.S. government have been tied for quite some time. And uh, obviously they view NFL audience as a big recruiting base for the military and the military industrial complex. All right, that's going to do it. I think I took three breaths that entire episode. I meant to go slower. I meant to, uh, Jesus Christ, I meant to talk about less things. But, you know, sometimes, guys, you structure an episode so well that all your topics kind of run into another one so perfectly that you just keep on going. So for me, Brian McWilliams, actually, before I go... Shame on every goddamn last one of you who has not gone and listened to Bravo and Beer yet. I've been talking to you about it. I've been telling you to check it out. I've been telling you why it's important to do this, to support content, to try to play up content that is not just libertarian talking points, and yet you haven't done it. Go fucking do it. Go fucking do it. Go stop this right now. Go to Bravo and Beer. It's on anywhere you listen to a podcast. Type it in, Bravo and Beer. Or just type in Bravo Beer. It comes right up to the top. Click it. Listen to it. Subscribe to it. You're going to love it. 
I mean, Bravo and Beer is literally our legion of skanks. Me, Rico, and Odie. It's as un-PC as you can get. It is unfiltered and it is hilarious. Look at that. It is our legion of skanks to part of the problem to make the Dave Smith reference. Trust me. All right. Freaking 5,000 of you people listening to that goddamn show. You think you think 500 of you could go and freaking click on it tomorrow. Bunch of assholes. All right. Anyway, assholes, <laughs> thanks for listening. <laughs> Share the show. I love you. Uh, from me, Brian McWilliams, from the Lions of Liberty and from Electric Liberty Land, always stay plugged into Liberty.